Hey guys, welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. On today's episode, Jeff and I sit down with local country music sensation Ricky Valido of Ricky Valido and the Hialeah Hillbillies. Ricky started with humble beginnings, having to come up with a unique original musical style and having to do his time in small clubs before making it big, much like the rock bands of the 70s and 80s. You can listen to Ricky's latest hits, Swamp Stomp and Hello Darkness on iTunes today. And follow him on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to find out about his upcoming tour schedule. Hope you guys enjoy this episode of The Real Guy Podcast and run that dog. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Captain Jeff. Welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. Uh, special guest today, Ricky Valido. Ricky, thanks for driving down from... Hylia. Hylia. Yeah. You know, he gets his hair cut in Hylia now? Yeah, he, he actually, uh, we were talking about that. Um, and I, I guess we know we know the barber, I know the barber actually. Do um, you really? Family. Yeah, yeah. And Figaro's Barbershop, man. Yes. We're going to be doing a, right there. We're going to do a podcast with Alejandro in two weeks. Awesome. Now, most people, um, especially people from Fort Lauderdale, really tried to like avoid Hialeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if there's any place you don't want to drive, it's Hialeah. Right. Zaka's going down there like twice a month to get his hair cut now. Once a month. Once a okay. month. Two. A little adventure. Quality work. I mean, listen, quality over quantity. The quantity being the amount of time it takes me to get down to Hialeah. <laughs> All I know is that is one expensive grill you are sporting. I mean, if every time once a month you're going down to Hialeah, that alone is taxing and expensive. And that's before you have to pay for your haircut. You see how he hates on me? <laughs> you see how he does that to me? You at least get a, um, a Cuban coffee before you leave. Oh, or, or no. There was a cafe con leche. Oh, okay. I know, I know something is. about that, believe it or oh, not. Yeah. It must be all the time I spent in Hialeah. You know, Jeff, you want to know something really cool about Ricky? Yes. And we yes. all want to know cool stuff he's, about Ricky. Oh, so one thing is he's of Cuban descent. I think Jose would be very proud of us right now if he saw us having real Cuban in the studios right now. Wehebe. Wehebe. You know who Jose Wehebe is? No, but it sounds familiar. The name sounds familiar. I'll let you. I'll let you take that wheel, Jeff. Well, he's like the world famous Cuban fisherman. You know That's what I mean? That's where I heard the name and from. He's, he yeah. Was, yeah, he fished in the Keys forever. He did a TV show called The Spanish Fly. Usaka's totally infatuated. Everybody over fifty years old. <laughs> so, like all these old fishing stars and fishing right. lessons, like Usaka's just finding out about. So it's like you know, it's like watching a kid in a candy store every week. And um, he's been infatuated with Hebe. And a bunch wow, of that's great. I mean, I, I love, I mean, I don't have many fishermen in my family, but the few people that are fishermen were all fishermen in Cuba. And they tell me the stories about just the rich um, life that's there as, as far as fish and other things. Now, Cubans so. are like really, you know, spiritual about their fishing. And, you know, it's cultural. And I think because of that, um, I think Jose just really, you know, connected with a lot of people. Busaka, now, give us a rundown on, one, the history with you and Ricky and why you thought it was so important to get him in here for the Real Guy podcast. So Ricky and I met in 2011, so about nine years ago, at a concert at the Roundup Nightclub. It's a little country western bar. I don't know if you've ever been there. And he and I were standing next to each other at a concert, and whenever I go to a concert, I'm real passionate, and I start singing real good. And, and he 
was singing all really into it and we both kind of looked at each other and we just kind of vibed out all of a sudden and so I introduced myself he introduced himself and we realized that we had a lot of same musical interests and so we exchanged numbers and we started hanging out and when was this this was 2011 yeah yeah right nine up. years ago nine years ago nine years ago you two millennials act like that was like a long time ago. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it feels like it feels like a long time. Ago. Well, it's but for me, it's for me, it's always been really cool, and this kind of ties into why I think it was really important to get Ricky on this podcast. Is I, I when I first met Ricky, you know, he was just kind of getting into his singing and songwriting, and I really got to kind of watch him over the years, like when he really kind of bloomed and really became tr- a true success. You know, and which kind of leads into my first question for you, which is, you know, when did that first feeling of success, like when did that first hit you? What, when was it? I guess the first time I've gotten paid for a gig, I felt like, you know, now I'm not just doing it as a hobbyist or as just in my garage anymore. I'm just kind of going out there and, and actually, you know, being able to pay out my band members. So that kind of gave me a little bit of responsibility early on. Right. So... I guess that's when I felt like what I was doing maybe was, was, was valued a little bit, you know? And then as I kept going on, you know, I just based it off music and, and stuff like that. You know, it's people coming out of the shows and telling somebody else and kind of word of mouth, kind of the, grass, the grassroots thing. You felt it, right? Yeah, it was more of a feeling thing. See, for me, and this is cool about me knowing you for so long, you know, I remember when nobody even really knew who Ricky was. You know, he was just an aspiring starless. Everybody starts out with. Right. And uh, I was not at this concert, but it happened, I want to say, a week or two before we met. And it was Roundup Nightclub again, and Jake Owen was doing a concert there. And Jake Owen calls this kid on stage. Nobody knows who he is. Mm-hmm. Kid gets up on stage, rocks out to, it was an Alabama song. Hold on a sec. Song of the South. Was it Song of the South or Mountain Music? There's there's a video of that somewhere on YouTube. It was Mountain Music by Alabama, right? Um, I think it was Mountain I'm Music. I'm almost positive yeah. it was. And uh, Eight Second Ride, which is one of Jake's uh, songs. I believe he didn't write it, but I think it's it's it one was of his one albums. of yeah, but he, yeah. He, he he performed it. Yeah. Ricky gets up on stage and rocks it better and harder than oh, Jake Owen does. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Whoa, who's this guy? Who is this guy?" That was uh, everybody was literally. He gets off stage. And people want him to come back on stage. That, to me, in my opinion, was when I feel like you should have felt the first true, like, okay, this is what success <laughs> must feel like. To be honest with you, you know, I, I, I had a great time that night, but I think the, the Jack Daniels that I had before. Well, Jack. <laughs> you know, in the parking lot, pre-partying kind of tailgate, that kind of gave me more of the courage to stay Liquid along. courage, cause I, dude. Because if, if it wasn't for that, I don't think I, I would have uh, pulled it off as well. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was a fun night. It was, and seeing the footage and, and seeing people take pictures, and it was a packed house, too, which was... It was jam-packed it was, it was, that night. It was, I had it was friends cool. that went. You know, it's, it's funny. You, know, you, went, you started out, as, as a lot of artists do, you know, covers. Like that night, you sang two covers, you know, other people's yeah. songs. One thing that I've really respected about you, and I've got to actually witness firsthand knowing you after all these years, is that you really have your own style. You know, and that's something that Jeff and I really take a lot of pride in is we always talk about the importance of original style. Right. In any kind of, you know, no matter what you're doing, it's right. always been about original style. You actually have your own style. You know, I've always compared you, you know, like your voice. I've always kind of compared you as sort of a, a cross between Johnny Cash 
Elvis Presley thrown in with like a little bit of mariachi in there. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, that's... Can you can you come up with little bigger names, Busaka? I don't think you can get bigger than that's, cash. That's out. pretty. That's pretty big. Out. I know that's his head. He might not be able to get out this door by the time we're that's, done with this podcast. Those are big names to be compared to, but they're definitely were the guys that I I, I listened to early on. And I got to say, you know, I, I I borrowed a lot of things from not only country and western, but you know, just rock and roll or or, or folk or or even jazz. You know, I just try to listen to as much as I can. Um, but you know, as far as as far as the style. Um, Definitely that time period, like, you know, the, the Elvis time period, like the 60s Elvis, vocally, that, that inspires me a lot. I'm glad you brought up the rock and roll. So let me tell you, so back in the day, so Big Rick over here, he has a, a 69 or 67 Camaro? 69, yeah. 69 Camaro. This right, now, Big, Big Rick, so you know, not only is that um, Ricky's um, back in Bouncer and Security, but it's also his dad, who's longtime yeah. South Florida. That's a real guy, and... I don't know. Me and Ricky's dad can kind of reminisce and talk about shit because we're the same vintage and that kind of thing. But anyway, he's here in the studio. So when you hear when you hear Busaka talk about the fourth party, that's the guy. Big Rick. Big Rick, my Big dog. Rick. 69 Camaro. This thing was badass. And me, Ricky, and his sister, I mean, we used to all, I mean, we'd hop in that thing and be blasting Van Halen, ZZ Top. Aerosmith, like all the big rock and roll bands, Def Leppard. Remember those days? I remember, and that that was great. You know, just sitting in the in the vehicle and, and listening to the engine and the music at the same time, and, oh. and then getting out and smelling like you know pure fuel. <laughs> pure fuel. <laughs> that, and the, that and that Corinthian leather in there. The well, um, yeah. you know, going back to your to your style, you know, something that's come with that original style that you have is you write a lot of your own songs. I do, and um. Right now, more than ever, since I haven't really been out there playing as much, you know, I've just been writing a lot, and I've been trying to write as often as I can. And um, usually the mornings are better for me for writing. Um, and I'm used to playing the night times because I'm, I'm playing a lot of the dive bars, a lot of the, the live music venues that are late shows. Um, but things have kind of, this, this quarantine kind of thing has kind of brought something else out of me, which is I've been writing a lot more than I was when I was just playing a lot of gigs right um and it's a good thing because i think um the material that i have put together is probably enough for two separate projects so that's what i'm probably going to do is maybe drop a couple singles and then um introduce the the fans to my first collection of songs which would be my first proper album and i'm thinking of, of doing maybe uh somewhere between nine to 12 songs and and these songs have, uh, are not just new, but they've been put together th- throughout the span of my um, songwriting. So some er- early songs from right out of high school, and then some songs that I've written within the years, and then some songs that I've written um, now. So I'm hoping to put that together, and hopefully next year, early next year, I could have something out for people to listen to. <laughs> so going back, wait, so going back to writing songs. So I wanted to ask you is you know how do you how do you go about writing your songs? Everybody's got their own way of doing it. Like you kind of sit down. You said in the morning, like you kind of get up. You get your Cuban coffee. You yeah. know, do you like do you just do like a pen and paper? Do you get with somebody for inspiration? Or like how do you how do you go about writing your songs? Some of them start start off just as simple uh, poetry. So it's just you know maybe a poem, and then I. I I bring in the guitar and then you know play a few chords and piece it together that way or sometimes um, I'm at a band rehearsal and I'm with the actual band so there's there's definitely a contribution from the other musicians there as far as the vibe goes and then I'll write things out like that 
Um, I've also written with my uh, guitar player, Carlos Valdez. I remember shout Carlos. Out, yeah, he, yep. shout out to him. And he was um, actually my, my first guitar instructor. So he went from being my guitar teacher to now playing lead for me in the band. So it's kind of cool to have um, that kind of friendship with him and that songwriting relationship where we could go in and, and write things together too. So yeah, to bring it all together, I've, I kind of do it differently. Every song kind of comes in differently. Have you ever have you ever been have you ever been doing something where you know you might not have a pen and paper handy and song lyrics just kind of come to you? Like I remember, like one of my favorite stories um, in rock and roll history is Steven Tyler was in a hotel room and high as hell on coke, and all of a sudden <laughs> the words to walk this way started coming to him, and he had no he had no pen and paper around, and so he just grabbed a a, a, um, a thing of lipstick. That somebody that a groupie had left, and he just started writing the lyrics on the wall. Crazy, which I think is fantastic. That's so have you, have, yeah, exactly. Have you ever heard like like has that happened to you where you've been like, oh my gosh, I've got something good, but I don't have pen and paper. Like yeah. has that ever happened to you? And, and it's happened a few times in, in while I'm sleeping. Believe it or not, it's like I'm having a dream and I've and I've written this thing and I wake up and I don't have anywhere to write. Sometimes so either I forget it or I find something random like a, a note a notepad or or a napkin or something like that and, and try to write it and remember it. But now the phones have, have made it easy for you to just sing through them. You know, you just kind of you can record your yourself, right? <laughs> That's awesome, <laughs> At 1 a.m. or whatever, so. You know, going back to what you were saying, too, about, you know, how you've been able to write more now because of the pandemic, one of the things I wanted to ask you is how has COVID affected your songwriting and kind of the style and the lyrics of your songs? It's got to, I'm sure it's had to have had an, had an effect. Yeah, definitely, because it's kind of allowed me to you know, step away a little bit from the, the usual routine, which is, you know, um, we were playing at least 200 shows a year, and now that's kind of went down 100%. And, you know, not just big shows, but, you know, dive bars and, and you know, the whole circuit. But um, for songwriting, you know, it, it's opened up I- different ideas. Um, I'm big um, on environment. I, I, I know that you, that you um, actually... That seems to be like the... Yeah. Um and it's cool because guys your age that are big into the environment and you guys, you know, seem to be passionate about it. And um, I don't know. It's a movement. It's a movement. Definitely. And um, I'd like to put something together where I could maybe draw some attention uh, to the Florida Everglades um, and maybe just create a, a, a whole list of songs where I could um, maybe just give people that normally wouldn't know what the Everglades is a kind of a, a, a scoop of some of the songs from the Glades. Um, I actually, I've, I've performed a few times for um, the Osceola family out there in Big Cypress and just gotten to see how they live and how a lot of the uh, uh, aspects of nature just tie into their culture 100%. Um, and I kind of want to tie that into my music, but yes, I, I, I love the ocean, I respect it, and I, I love um, what Florida has to offer right. as far as, as nature and natural resources. Well, one of the things so, that um, one of the things that I always when I listen to country singers and I hear about them talking about the ocean and you know how they love putting their feet in the sand and all that, I can only take that so seriously. I mean, these dudes are from like you know the Midwest and stuff, but you being from Miami, you know, yeah. Hialeah, local kid, somebody that can really understand the Everglades and the passion for it and the water. I mean. You know, when, you, when you're when you doing songs and you're talking about putting your feet in the sand, it hits me a little different knowing that you're from Hialeah. 
Right, and and um, that's what I kind of want to evoke in people um, is 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 to let them know that not only am I just singing about these things, but I'm I'm living within distance where I could go and and really see the Everglades and feel it, and I've been around it for a while. Um, you know, as a Florida native, you know, I, I just went a lot when I was a kid and, and, and walked into the natural parks and, and just enjoyed and, and, and kind of watched um, the life that's there. And that's really fueled my, my, my songwriting now in the pandemic, as you said. Uh, I've reflected on that and kind of went back in history to what really brought me to, to, to actually performing was artists like uh, John Denver, for instance, that he, you know, had a lot of songs about nature and uh, my uncle Orly, he kind of had those records when I was younger, and I listened to the songs and and you know just hearing songs like you know Rocky Mountain High or something like that. It's like, you know, he's singing about what he knows, which is you know either either the the Colorado or anywhere he visited. He kind of try to take that with him and put it into the song. Right. And there's something real real about that that I enjoy. Right on. Right on. There was a. Uh, it was funny you talk about songs about the Everglades. I mean, I know, and I know you'll because you're a big John Anderson fan too. I don't really think that it gets much much better than Seminole Wind when talking that's about a, songs about the Everglades. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite covers to to perform live. It's 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 a it's a cover where I could kind of just um, apply my own my own emotion to it because you know of my relationship with the with the environments as a kid. Uh, you know, I, I grew up kind of um, listening and watching the Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter, and I even bought, the, you know, the khaki shorts and the khaki uh, shirts. Of course, and, he made that and stuff And kept cool. some reptiles, and, and you know, I got I to gotta give it a lot to him. He, He's got wild iguanas in his backyard. Wild iguanas, imagine that. Here well, in South, here's South, South Florida. Florida. Here in South Florida. Uh, I actually, <laughs> actually have wild iguanas, and I actually have um, uh, three cyclora, which are pretty much uh, rhinoceros iguanas, and these iguanas. I'm sorry, pet iguanas. That's yeah, what they're pet. <laughs> pet iguanas. Okay, yeah. that's a little that different. makes. Yeah, I they're, meant to say they're that. a little different from the uh, regular. We we think it regularly, but the regular uh, green, green iguanas, iguanas yep. that green we see iguanas. all over South Florida. Yeah, the um, you know, I want to go back to your uh, going back to your songs and everything. You know, last year, 2019 was a pretty big year for you. I remember, you finally ended up, you ended up on iTunes. That's that huge. Was, dude. That was the first um, kind of re- proper release that I've I've thrown out and and landed me on 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 Spotify and, and iTunes and all those platforms. How did that feel? If seeing so, yourself on iTunes because that's that's like when you know like okay I think I'm onto something now. Yeah, I mean technology has made it easier for for musicians to put themselves in a position that years ago it was harder to get. You right. know, um, you had to really go through record labels and really dig yourself into into that in order to get heard or, or get radio play. But platforms like Spotify and Pandora have allowed underground artists or independent artists like myself to actually, you know, be heard. Right. So um, being accepted in, in into BMI and being accepted into these platforms has helped me a lot because I've had um, listeners listen in from Europe. Um, we have some listener demographics in, like, uh, believe it or not, in, like, Denmark area. They're, they listen to country music. And, I believe it. Yeah. And, we have a uh, following in Thailand. Wow. It's yeah, like well, a big following well, in Thailand. Well, that's the thing with the Internet, yes, and, the internet. And, and being able to inspire people. And then, you know, if you do have talent, which is a lot of dudes that have a guitar and a microphone that don't have that much talent. They just do it because they like it. But if you do have talent, and you get it out there, you're seeing it from all over the world. 
people respond. People are gravitated to it. And I just think it's awesome the way it is now for you guys is there's no hiding the talent anymore. Where like you said back in the 80s and the 90s when you and your dad grew up, you guys had to be slaves to record recordings, to whether or not you ever got on the radio or not. And they basically manipulated everything in the music industry. So to watch talented people, millennials like yourself, be able to take advantage of the new system is just a breath of fresh air. Dude, you know, I, I will admit to you, and I'm not just saying this because you're here. The first time I heard Hello Darkness, because I remember when you had first released 69 Camaro, that was the first hit. And I, was, I remember, I, like, I was there when you released it. Yeah, and... Um that one I, I did in, during high school, and it was pretty much, I put that thing together in, in my house. I recorded everything. I was with you when you did it. Yeah. yeah. That, was his first, that was his first single. That's was awesome. Camaro. You know, I just let it go and, and, and see what it did, and, and it was fun to write, and, and I never officially released it, like, say, on Spotify or any of the platforms, but it, it's you on YouTube. Music video on YouTube, yeah. And I'm a lot younger there. I mean, I, I feel like I look a lot younger. <laughs> yeah, but it was funny. The first time... That I had heard Hello Darkness, I kind of came upon it by accident. And I saw it and I was like, oh, because I didn't know that you had done another music video. So I watched this video and, and I was listening to the song as I was doing my laundry of all things. And I'm sitting there, so the song ends and I hit the replay button on it. I was like, this is actually really cool. Couldn't help it, had to hear it again. I, and man, I'm not just I'm... saying that because you're here, but I, I actually Thanks, stopped man. for a second and I said, wow. Because uh, I think back to how where you started with 69 Camaro like literally I mean you were just a kid basically just you know threw it together yep and it was super it was something different you know and then it's like all of a sudden here comes this song and it's like homeboy made it <laughs> it was really? like whoa wow. <laughs> but um, I did hit replay I was like this is actually pretty good and hey, I was really proud of you for that dude thank you so much Steven and and really you know I I like to say this that I'm pretty much in my mind I'm still at the beginning I still feel like I want to do so much more and, and I think that the, the songwriting's hopefully going to get even better and the songs are going to um, continue to evolve um, my road band it's pretty much a four piece band but they're kind of the backbone to what I do in my live show so having, having bringing them my songs and, and having them kind of shape them up for me a little bit and having them contribute to the sound also helps a lot so you're saying so like even if you write a song and you're like okay i've got this song it's i think it's ready you'll show it to the i assume that you show it to the rest of the band yeah, and then yeah. they i'm sure will make suggestions critiques right. you know how now how involved are they in your songwriting process pretty much um the songs are, are already written they're pretty much already a voice memoed and then they they pretty much just add um percussion or bass um or even you know pedal steel if it needs it, but their their song actual to the songs to the lyric is not very much involved. Other than if I write a song with one of them, if I want to sit down and, and say, hey, I, I want to write a song with Mel, my drummer, or or with Carlos, my guitar player, then we'll do something like that, and you know they'll get credits for that and in the song. But other than um, just bringing them the songs in, they pretty much just I tell them I kind of want to hear this. And they say, how did this sound? And then by that, we could kind of judge where we want to go with it. But that's kind of the contribution that they do to the songs. You know, one of the things, and I'm glad you brought that up. So, you know, when Jeff and I first met and Jeff and I first started doing, you know, either videos or podcasts together, you know, I was, I was lost. And, you know, like Jeff has a style to him that I had a hard time figuring out, let alone keeping up with. 
You know what I mean? So it was a little bit tricky for me at first, but you know, after doing stuff with him for so long, and all of a sudden now I'm, I kind of figure out how he works, and now we're kind of in sync, and it feels like a more organic process. Did it take a while for you and the bandmates? I mean, when you guys first got together, I mean, what was that transition like from going just kind of being solo with your, you and your guitar to now all of a sudden having to work with three other guys? What was that transition like? At first it was a little challenging because um, a lot of the musicians that, that backed me up didn't come from a school of, let's say, you know, pure country. Like it, it wasn't something that they came out of. So they came out of more like rock bands and um, things like that. So having them listen to what I wanted, for example, like th there's a two feel that Waylon, a lot of Waylon songs have, which is really that, that country kind of two in the floor type of sound. So I've kind of went in there and told them, hey, that, you know, that's what I want in that song. <laughs> so um, my input and, and their um, background of the music that they came from kind of, you know, mixed up a little bit. And I think that really also helped my sound, you know. That's awesome. So you were saying, though, you, we, we, you do have some new music on the way, though, you said, right? Yeah, and I'm hopefully going to drop something within the next couple of months. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, either going back up to Nashville or maybe um, Austin or, or Texas we're looking at. And maybe I, I record like a, a, a double single and, and just <coughs> put it out before um, my anticipated album because I, I really have to put the finishing touches on it still. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's funny you bring up Nashville because I remember um – the first, I still, again, this goes back to, you know, me being able to see you kind of your career, how it progressed and everything. I remember the first time when you went to Nashville. Yes. And I, and you actually got to, they actually, Jeff, listen to this, they let him play. You had your guitar with you that day, didn't you? That was you? cool. Yeah. Um, they let him play on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry. Really? Actually, actually, I was, I was just in as a, as a, you know, regular tourist and taking the tour and everything. Right. And, um. You know, the the circle is open to certain people to take pictures and all that. But I, they knew that I was a musician in town, so they wanted to kind of give me a, an opportunity to stand there. So I, I brought in my guitar, and I just strummed a couple chords and <laughs> kind of hummed a little bit. And I was, like, really in shock because, you know, this is a hollow place where a lot of my heroes, you know, uh, country music history basically there. That's so, awesome. Isn't so that awesome? That is. That was that was the coolest one of the coolest moments ever. You had an audience too. Not a huge one, but I mean, shoot, it was an audience, dude. Yeah, staff and people that were there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. that was that was cool enough. That's that was huge. cool enough for me and I, I hope well I, I aspire to, to hopefully come back there one day with with my own music and and, and rock the opera and perform for for some folks and yeah that's rock the opera rock the opera that's pretty cool now when when your dad and I were growing up you know like if you were in a band and you were playing and had a schedule like you have and play at, like the cool places and right. stuff I mean it was sex drugs and rock and roll back then now you millennials I don't know I just don't <laughs> see the sex drugs and rock and roll like there was back in the 80s and stuff. Enlighten us a little bit. How does it feel to be a country artist in a major metropolitan area and um, having the schedule that you do? Do you feel do you feel that at all or not so much? Some, you know, when I'm in it, when I'm playing and I'm performing, I'm not I'm not really like feeling it as much. But when I'm not and I'm just, you know, regular life, just doing my thing, um, I reflect on it. and I'm like, you know. Um, it's kind of obscure to, to to play this sort of music in in the metropolitan area that I come from. Number right. one, but 
Number two, it's it's kind of allowed me to bring this music to people that wouldn't normally um, stumble upon it or, or, or go out of their way to listen to it. Right. So, for example, when I first started um, just playing the, the clubs, um, a lot of the times, you know, um, I either wasn't invited back or, or they didn't call me back because I played straight-up honky-tonk um, country music. Right. And then it took, it took uh, the venue a while and the people a while to adjust um, to, to kind of my show and my sets. So then once that started... I, I was kind of more accepted into into playing, and people started coming out more. Then a little fan base started uh, to create itself, and I think that kind of opened up myself more to playing. Right, and that's um, why you and that's why you refer to it as the grassroots. Yeah, because it's it's word of mouth, and and um, I'm not really um, backed up by anything that's major that's that's pushing or propelling me. I'm just kind of. You know, playing the songs, recording them, releasing them, and and playing the live show, and um, you know, word of mouth and the internet's helped so much. You know, sure. the platforms and sure. and um, the lives and Instagram, for for example. But um, other than that, it's just you know, grassroots word of mouth. Yeah. Well, and I want the audience to know, like, I actually met Ricky and did not know that he was friends with Busaka. I met yes. Ricky at a venue out called Miranda Farms, which I just think is a really neat place out in Davie. And um, Scott Bursa from the Honky Tonk Garage, which I want to yes. get you guys over there together one day and um, bang out a couple riffs. But he was a fan and wanted me to meet him out there to see Ricky Valido. And um, I just think he did a great job of um, penetrating the market down here because for a 52-year-old man to see you out in Davie at a place called Miranda Farms that was referred by somebody else, all old-school Fort Lauderdale people, and there's a lot of bands and stuff that never make that type of penetration. So congratulations and good job. But I wanted people to know that I was a fan of Ricky Valido and learned about Ricky Valido and then found out that you and Busaka were dogs. (laughs) That's awesome, Jeff. That's (laughs) such a cool... You didn't know that. story. <laughs> yeah, he said to me, he said to yep. me one day, he's like, oh, yeah, I went to see this country singer. I said, really? I said, who was it? He goes, Ricky Valido? And I was like, dude, I said, that was my dog from freaking back in the day. Yes. And he was like, wait, you know him? And I was like, yeah. I, said, I used to go to his house. Yes. And um, that's the kind of, of thing that kind of reassures me that I need to keep going forward and, and continue to do this. Just what you, the example that you gave, you know, uh, Steve, for, for example, he was just at a show. I think it might have been a Pompano Beach show that I played um, at a place at a marina. Well, do you know the name of the marina? Yeah. Um, Sands Harbor. Sands Harbor, yeah, yeah. That's a real popular and, place. And um, I got to see him again. And I, although I didn't remember the name right away, by, by just seeing him, recognizing him, it, it's kind of cool to see people come back out. And, and seeing s- some faces come back out to shows makes me, you know, makes me uh, feel... Burst is a big fan of yours, dude. Yeah, he's a cool dude. He is. Well, and Burst is a big fan of country music, which is even a, I mean, it's a behind-the-scenes compliment to you because coming from Hialeah, having the band members that you have, singing the type of music that you're singing, to appeal to such a diverse crowd, I think is something that a lot of guys, you know, especially young artists, have a hard time doing because they're playing for young people necessarily and they have a hard time um, broadening their horizons not to say that it's a wrong way to go right but it's difficult to penetrate multiple generations multiple markets 
And I don't know. I just think that it's special that somebody like the Bursa Man is attracted to your music. And realize we drove, I don't call it 10 miles to come see you. I mean, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot if you live in Texas or someplace out in the country, but when you live in a metropolitan area, if you're going to get forever. in the car and drive 10 miles, that's a big deal. It's, it Dude, I almost, deal. Mo- I almost moved to Cooper City, and he always told me, he was like, if you move to Cooper City, he goes, I'm not driving out there to go see you. So to consider yourself lucky because he, he don't drive west of U.S. of Federal Highway for just nobody. That's, that's very intelligent. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Very intelligent. Right? You know, people- Dude, you know, I'd love to see. I, there's two things I want to see speaking of Bursa. I would love to see Bursa jam with Ricky. Right. And then... I would love to have Bursa bonefish with me in Biscayne Bay. Those are the two things I want to see. Well, I think those that are both cool. very accomplishable. I think you can do that. Through I think we can. Make it happen. I think we can. So being a country singer down here in, in South Florida, you got chicks chasing you around. Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, nice. Nice. <laughs> I was going to say, what do you mean sex, drugs, and rock and roll is dead? It ain't dead. That's what I'm trying to get out here. I wanted to, you know, like, is that still happening? Is like the, is it's the alive art? and well, dude. Are you got groupies yeah. and all that? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a song that I have called uh, Guitars, Muscle Cars, Whiskey, and Women. Um, and I kind of set myself up for writing that because it was pretty much a, a take on, on something that kind of a rock and roll lifestyle. But, but the fan base has... has has expanded not only um like you said younger fans but um the older crowd that pretty much listened to this type of music in the 60s and the 70s um they appreciate the heck out of the set because they hear songs that they probably haven't heard in i don't know maybe their high school um uh, <laughs> whatever i mean it's right. like songs like uh, maybe like a whalen like a rough cut from a whalen album or something that i've that i play and they're like I, and they come up to me after the show and and they told me I haven't heard this song since I don't know when, and, and they can remember where they heard it, and and it's always nice to um, hear the stories of the folks that come out. And, and yeah, that's like a connection you make with them. Yeah, and you know I just don't walk off the stage. I try to stick around and 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 meet some of the people that are there and and from all walks of life. And you know, I remember you doing that at Miranda Farms. We went out to see you, and I thought it was like I was like, man, what a personable you know young guy. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I feel like. Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm just a regular guy just jamming and 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 hopefully my music connects with people and if I could talk to them that'd be great you know and and, and meet them and I'm not afraid of just uh, meeting somebody out there and um, I've had just really cool stories um, I've had uh, a couple that drove all the way from I think Savannah Georgia really and they wanted a va- vacation a little bit down in the in the Key Largo area and we we're playing a place called um, the Caribbean Club. Right, I'm familiar. Oh yeah, I think a lot of people are familiar. Yeah, and uh, that's that's kind of like a landmark there, and and they spent uh, the weekend there, and they and they told me the story. We drove. Um, someone told us about your music, and we drove from Georgia down here and decided to catch a show while we we're in, in town, and and that's kind of a cool thing for me. You know, that's an awesome thing. Dude, do you still like speaking of going out on stage and everything like that? Like, do you, does it still hit you like when somebody says like you know, ladies and gentlemen? Please welcome Ricky Valido, and you hear everybody like to like scream. Yeah, I mean, I mean, does it still hit you even now? To, to be honest, um, I don't. I don't have a lot of those shows happening unless I'm opening for somebody or like it's a, you know it's an environment where where that could happen. I'm usually just you know playing the bar and I just get in there and do my thing. But when that happens, yeah, it it, it does kind of amp up the ante a little bit for the band and me. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty much a. Um, 
I would say I'm a, I'm a somber kind of guy, so I'm not real, like, uh, if I'm jamming and I'm having a good time, that's, that's great, but I don't, I don't really talk a lot on stage, like, um, I'll tell them a story behind a song I wrote, maybe, but I just pretty much let the band kind of fill the dead space and, and, and kind of jam a little bit, so that's kind of like the, um, the, vi- the overall vibe, if you were to come out to a show. I think it's see. I think it's great that you actually write your own music too, because I can I kind of compare singers that write their own songs to directors that write their own screenplays. The advantage is that you know when you write a screenplay, you have a vision in your head of how it's going to go, and then but if you hand it off to another director, he might see it a different way and do something a little bit different. But you're in a good position where you write most of your music, so when you write it and you perform it it pretty much comes out to how you envisioned it. That It's your vision. And, and, and that really helps because the songs kind of tar- start taking a different shape once you start playing them a lot. So they may, they may start off a certain way and then maybe a year in, the song has just kind of taken its own shape. So like the songs that you write actually grow with you. Yes. I feel you. Yes. So like, you know, today uh, a song may be at a certain level. But because that song stays with you for five or six years, you're able to evolve that. Yes, Jeff, and, exactly. Yeah, that's I feel you on that. And, um, and that's the thing that um, has kind of gotten lost in, in mainstream music because I think the label just want to pretty much put out music that's radio-friendly and, and you know, whatever that is. And, right. and, and pop. Pop stuff. And no, no need to hate them. I, I, I have no hate for that kind of music or, or what they're doing, but it's not what I do. And what, what's your take on, on, on pop music today? Yeah, I mean, like, your dad and I probably have the same take. You know, we're from the same school, and like you said, we were... All the, all the, artists, all the artists and stuff that we listened to were presented in us, to us in a way that was Hollywood style, that was, you know, big. But in today's day and age, that seems to be how the pop music singers become popular which is on the opposite spectrum to a guy like yourself. So how do you, like, where do you see pop in, I don't know. To me, it, it, it bugs a lot of older people, put it that yeah, way. Yeah, it, it, I think it, it bugs a lot of older people. And um, the flashiness of, of, like, rock and roll or, 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 or urban music um, from the past is, is a little different from now. I think um, that the pop, the pop artists are, are pretty much reaching out to a certain market and the cool thing is that there's some artists in in the pop area that are starting to transition and 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 do things with other artists that wouldn't normally be pop, and that's kind of bringing both audiences. I think that's a positive there okay. for that. But other than the stuff that's being put on radio, um, I don't think they're giving um, artists that are um, not only underground but but unheard right. um, a chance. And I think if radio would be more open. To, to not only playing their stuff, <laughs> but right. but giving some time for maybe even local artists to get some some time. I think that'll diversify. I think it would be a, a positive for everybody, not just the radio stations, but for for all types of listeners, no sure. matter what um, you're into or what age. Right. Right. Um, so I think that's the problem with not only pop music, but I think radio. I think radio has a lot to do with it. Right. And radio. Um, I don't know. To me. I like. I'm kind of enjoying watching radio lose their power. I'm. I really <laughs> enjoy like watching TV lose their power, and 
one of the reasons we do a podcast is because it puts us on a platform even with everybody else. And for the first time in the history of the world, artists and um, talk show hosts, anybody that has real content um, can put it out there and people can take it or leave it. And um, to be able to gain market share, you know, the Ricky Valido brand, you know, obviously um, the art is resonating and it's transferring and people are taking it and showing it to other people, which is the new modern day. And I think that's one of the things that pisses me off so much about pop music. You know, like my kid got into country music at a very young age because of a radio station. We listened to the radio station, and I swear there was about 15 songs that were on a loop the whole time. And you rarely ever heard anything that wasn't on that loop. And let's just say that in about a month, I got familiar with all the country pop and sick of it and didn't want to listen to it anymore. (laughs) All in one month. (laughs) Three things in one month. Oh, man. And um, that's a product of, of, of... I think the kind of um, meat factory that they're, you know, kind of throwing in and on radio, and and that pretty much either instills the songs to to a certain demographic, you know, or it kind of kills it for people like yourself. Oh, <laughs> you know, it kills it, is <laughs> right. It kills it, is right. Well, so. there's like it's like if you look at the like the rock and roll bands back in the day, you know, they all talk about how they had to do before they made it big, they had to do their dues in clubs. Yeah, they, they had, had to, to actually do their do, which is kind of like how you did it. I mean, you started out performing at Roundup Nightclub. Yeah, and I'm still you know what I mean? doing those labs. I call them labs because yeah, that's what they are. You sure. go out there and it's like an experiment. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> and we we get we get nights where it's a good or decent crowd, and then we get nights where there's barely ten people, and we still you know put on the show and 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 play this play the sets and play the play the songs. But I feel like. When you start out in a club, when you start off small, I feel like when you do achieve success, you appreciate it a lot more because you earned it. Like a lot of the pop artists today, I feel like they kind of like the radio stations basically just kind of not only throw them at us, like literally shove them down our throats. Like you were saying, they have these this same loop of songs well, on every day. Well, yeah, and these big companies like Disney have so much invested in these artists and they basically have a recruiting area that they take them from like a lot of the singers now i didn't realize it but they were like kitty stars that my kid used to watch that okay you're getting too old to be a kitty star so here you go take a microphone and become a, 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 a singer. singer singer yeah and talk about shoving it down your throat you just can't get it shoved down your throat much more than that my poor kid doesn't know the difference from the time she was born and started watching TV, she was told who her celebrities were. Yes. Sickening to me. Yes. <laughs> but it is an industry. It is an industry, and, and it's... Not, I don't think a lot of people re- step back and, and peel the layers and realize it as much, but it is is definitely a pattern, and it's and it's something that they, they, they've been throwing at generational thing. You know, huh? growing up and watching a Disney character turn into a pop singer, then... Maybe going to something else. I don't know. Um, right. Well, I think it actually. I think it actually in this in this day and age, it's starting to work towards people like you with benefit, because when you play, like you said, one of your own written songs and you play it with heart, and then you're playing it to an audience that they didn't create for you. People like me can say, 
wow, that kid's got talent. And you can definitely tell that there's a huge difference between that shit Disney's shoving down your throat and a guy that I stumbled into or upon at Miranda Farms in Davie. Right. You know what I mean? And I can't remember any of those kids' names or their songs, but Ricky Valido is you a brand that. to me. And like Locker Dog. Well, I only had to see Ricky once. And the reason it was so powerful was because the way it came to me through one of my best friends who I knew that was really into country music. And then that's how you're presented to me. And immediately after hearing you, I'm like, wow, the kid's good. And you had validity like that. Is Valido Spanish for validity by any chance? Yeah, I mean, actually, um, is it? Valid, Valido it means be. valid. Yeah, it means valid. In, uh, Isn't that oh, ironic? Dude. That is crazy. Yeah. We didn't even plan that either. I'm going to name I'm gonna yeah. name the podcast the validity, validity. of Ricky Valido on country yep. music. Put validity in quotes. And, uh, <laughs> That's pretty good, I, I dude. Think, I think that name is uh, Spanish or, or Portuguese. I forget. It's Spain or Portugal. Is it? It comes from somewhere like that. I just thought about that, too. I was and, like, I wonder if there's any kind of connection there well you know most italians would just claim you as an italian oh man oh, yeah Jesus. that's cool I, I love that um <laughs> but then again italians pretty much claim anybody good as being italian oh my <laughs> gosh well that is true although you know it's funny actually i will say not necessarily people but if there's like a product or something like that that's good like maui gym sunglasses made in italy my initial response was of course they're great they're made in Italy. Yeah. Yeah, and then you yeah. found out a bunch of Chinese people are making them in Italy. <laughs> no, no, apparently it's not. It's I, legit Italians. Yeah, I'm not buying it. Oh, my gosh. Let me enjoy that, man. Come on. No, it's Let okay. me enjoy it. It's okay. If you want to take that Hollywood version of Italy and spread it amongst you millennials and stuff, go ahead. I mean, Listen, you know. I'm not the one that did a podcast called The Top Ten Italians. All right, do, you, do, you, do you know the difference between... The Hollywood style Italian and a real Italian? I do. What? Hollywood was so much more glammed up and Hollywood like made it look cool. Like that whole mafia thing and Jeff and I have talked about this many times. Being in the mafia and the mafia, that was not cool. They glorified in the movies. Like, but it was Hollywood. and you could tell them too, Jeff. It was not cool to be in the mafia. I'll let you elaborate on that. Well, I'll I'll let you slide with that, but the real reason and the r- real way you can tell is that real Italians buy wine in the bottle that has the handle on it as opposed to the little guy like you get in the restaurant where he unscrews it right and the old time Italian people said if the wine doesn't have a handle on it it's no good wow right so you drink it by the gallon instead of by the so it's more like a a jug almost it's like for everybody it's for the 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 bottle of wine was not just for one person for familia it was right for the whole familia or the community or whatever the occasion was so that was the difference. I didn't know that, actually. Dude, it's You my, just learned me something. It's important that every podcast that I try to learn Busaka something. And I got to tell you, you millennials do a good job at teaching us old people stuff along the way. <laughs> he, I, I will take credit for one thing. I was the one that taught him about the word millennial. Really? Three years ago. We, um, yep. I have an inside joke with uh, Carlos on because Carlos is like 50, 57 years old. And he's old. what, part of the band? And, and he plays. He, he, looks, he looks good for his age, but... Um, we're always because he's the oldest one in the band, so he always calls everybody else millennials. So. Right. <laughs> so I forget the joke he has, but if it comes up to me, it's it's a millennial joke. <laughs> no, Ricky and I, but Ricky, I, I always felt like, like no, Ricky, he calls us his. Sorry to cut you off. He calls us hipsters. Hipsters. <laughs> hipsters. Oh no, 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 dude. That's, that's even worse. Yeah, that's that's a whole different. Do you know topic. what a hipster is? 
I, I know what a hipster is because um, you bring me down to these weird um, breweries and stuff. What's the place <laughs> we went to the other day? Oh, the uh, Invasive Species Invasive Brewery. Invasive Species oh, Brewery. I've heard of that, yeah. So, so uh, his dog has the uh, food, food truck. truck. So we go down there to get the food, and it's phenomenal food. But we hang out at these places that are full of hipsters. And I got my 14-year-old with me, and she's pretty good. She can hang out with adults, and she can speak with the best of them. But even her, we kind of both look around, and we're like, how come everybody looks a little different? And he's, they're, like, asking me this question like I'm, like I'm going to have an answer. For them. <laughs> I don't know what like Everybody's got their, their black clothes on, a lot of piercings, Haircuts, tattoos, yeah. a lot of hair, a lot of hair. And I think that's what your dog's talking about with the millennials. But it's fun for older people to talk about millennials. You know why? I want to hear why. <laughs> because, guys, because guys like me and yeah. your dad, we feel like yeah. when we grew up in the 80s and 90s that we just had so much more than the young people today. And that we were able to experience things, and it's it's almost comical, not comical, but but guys our age cannot put ourselves in the position where like I can't I can't imagine growing up as a twenty seven year old today. You know what I mean? And like we really feel that we wish we could have gave you guys a little bit piece of what we had. Put it that way. That make any I sense? Got, we got I the got music. It. We got the music at least. Well, Ricky's yeah, done and, a great job at bringing some of the uh, the older music forward for the millennial generation. There's it, there's a few that have, and that actually I meant to ask you about that too. What artists, other like current artists today, do you think are kind of following, are kind of doing the same thing that you're doing? We're trying to bring not only their own style, but kind of taking a page or two from that. 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s. Who else do you think is doing that real well? Well, I think um, in the in the real mainstream, I think uh, Chris Stapleton has done a, a, a he's fantastic a, a fantastic job of just um, bringing that raw, you know, band sound and, and vo- vocal sound to to a mainstream audience. But there's a, a guy named uh, Jason Isbell. You and, mentioned. Um, I remember you told me about it. And him. the 400 unit, and I think he's at. at a, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, or something like that. But he's probably based out of Nashville now, and he's got great records that remind me of, you know, the '60s, the '70s, and he's kind of got that country rock, um, folk thing. And then finally, uh, Sturgill Simpson. I, I really, really recommend him. He's got great albums, and he's out of Kentucky. Um, there's another guy named Tyler Childers, mm-hmm. and he's uh, another Kentucky guy. There's like a huge pool of of country uh, underground country and not just country but like the crossover stuff um in in kentucky and in texas not so much in south florida but you know i'm, I'm kind of doing my own thing here and, and hopefully I, I can inspire other bands and other artists to to well, be think, part of something i think having the south south florida flair um and having a different heritage than the typical you know redneck country singer right. <laughs> is you know, it's a it's, little refreshing in a sense. It's American. It's American. You know what I mean? I mean, our country. Um, you know, we embrace everybody's culture. Um, we respect it, and then we celebrate it. And then you, being an artist and being able to strike those emotions, you know, it's American, man. It's all American. I think it's fucking. All, I think it's. I think it's funny. Yep. I think it's great. Um, I think it's inspiring. And I think you're carrying the American tradition forward by being a country singer coming from Hialeah. 
Thank you, Jeff. I mean, that, that, that makes me feel good, too. But, you know, my grandfather, you know, them coming out of, out of Cuba and coming in here as immigrants, um, just, just their musical taste, um, too, have kind of influenced me um, as well. And that's an American thing, like you said, because mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that, then I, I, I don't think I would be standing here t uh, talking to you or playing these songs or, or anything like that. So, And what a wild subject to come up in our podcast in today's day and age with what the fuck is going on <laughs> and how many people. Well, one of the things that really is heartbreaking to me, and I'm sure your dad feels the same way, but America is a place to celebrate everybody's culture and this division that both the media and some of these political groups and some i hate to say it but some races and classes is going in the wrong direction and people are looking at the negative side and there's just a few negatives and there's so many positives. There's so many things that here in America we should celebrate and be proud of and should never, ever be ashamed of where we came from and what we did and, more importantly, where we're going. And um, it's just weird how, in this podcast, it's taken us to this topic, which I never had written down. Me neither. <laughs> and never thought it would really get to that. But... Um, when you have real conversation with real people, shit like this comes out. You know, before we wrap this up, Ricky, there's, there's a very important question that I have to ask you. Okay, now you're a fellow millennial like me. Have you ever heard the word feeder ban? Feeder ban, yeah, I've, I've heard of it, but I... But you don't know what it is, right? That's the best thing I've heard all day. Dude, do I not, rest my case. Do not brag about being ignorant. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. A feeder ban, okay? It's, all a feeder ban is is part of a tropical storm or hurricane when we have these feeder bans. And he did not know what a feeder ban was. And, and neither did he. And that's okay because well, he assumed everybody did. You know how much feedback I got of people messaging me going, just an FYI, I've never heard of feeder ban. I don't know what that is. I don't think any of you guys should be taking pride in being ignorant. <laughs> if you're going to, if you don't know what a feeder ban is, don't say anything. Use Wikipedia or Google, and then come back to me. But don't brag about not knowing what the hell it is. Listen, I, I've heard it in that context before, as far as like, you know, tropical storms and hurricanes. But I didn't, I didn't think about it when you asked me. I, I completely went like right over. No, me. no, but that's a, no, no, no. Don't take it like that. As far as we're concerned, you didn't know what it was yeah, either. Yeah. So let's just leave it at that. Ricky, before before we end the before we end the podcast, is there anything that uh, we didn't go over that you'd like to say or you'd like to um, get across to the audience? Well, first of all, I want to thank you and and Steve for having me. I had a great conversation with both of you, and 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 thank you for uh, putting me in a place where I could hopefully different people could hear me that haven't heard about me before and, and check out my music um, for upcoming dates and, and releases um, my website's always up to date so it's rickyvalido.com that's, Ricky, okay. yeah, that's R-I-C-K-Y V-A-L-I-D-O dot com and there you can find all my socials um, my YouTube accounts everything that's yeah. pretty much up to date awesome now um, Busaka's gonna do an intro for you 
and in that intro he will include all the places your social they, media platforms where they, everything yeah where they can find out about you follow you and listen to your stuff agree and we're going to have that in the first few minutes of awesome. the podcast just so you know um the reason we do that is because 100 percent of the people that listen to the podcast listen for to the first 10 minutes so we want to make sure that we get your message across um thanks for coming down you know, or up from Hialeah. Anytime, Jeff. I'm glad Thanks you brought your dad me. with you. Yeah, he came. You know what I mean? It's nice to have some out. muscle behind you. <laughs> and um, Lusaka, great job on the guest today. Ricky Thank you very much. What Thank a pleasure. You for coming, Ricky. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, what a right. pleasure. What a great recording. Lusaka, proud of you, dog. Thanks, dog. All right, everybody. That was Ricky Valido. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Another awesome guest on the Real Guy Podcast. Run that dog. Run that dog. Run that dog. Run that dog.